Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hello. How's it going, buddy? Going awesome, man. Going great. Excellent. We're, excellent. we're still recording remotely, unfortunately, but uh, we'll get back to the normal in-studio recording soon. Yeah. Yeah, eventually. I'm, I'm sure people can tell the uh, the audio quality is a little bit slightly different just because uh, we're recording via the interwebs. Interweeb. The interweeb, the almighty interweeb. Man, yeah. what did they do back in the 70s, eh? They couldn't do this. I know, right? Well, it's all in person. Then again, podcasts didn't exist back then. <laughs> so what you been up format. to? Oh, not too much. I'm, you know, busy around the house doing all kinds of stuff. But I am, I am doing plans for, just over the last week, uh, there's been a lot of, uh, maybe over the last three weeks, a lot of, discussions back and forth about summer plans summer trips and so on it's uh it's so hard to uh nail, nail down details not knowing kind of what conditions are going to be over summer for various things right right but uh but yeah so uh it looks like the burt reynolds memorial river run is going to be running two trips this summer oh you're branching out yes we're branching out just because uh just because there's uh, some of the group wants to do something and some of the group wants to do something else and and we don't have 100% agreement and and so we're we're you know adding people to it and we're losing people so it's uh it's we'll we'll see how it goes uh, I was uh, you know I, I look I always look forward to uh, tripping with Mike Burns every year so I'm hoping that can still happen and uh, but otherwise yeah it's uh, so it's uh, what 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 uh, I, I constantly forget the name of the uh, place. Wabakini. It's not a W. It's a, Wabakini. It's not so, an M. Uh, it's a W. <laughs> yeah, it's an upside down. Yeah. <laughs> so there's there's the Wabakini portion of it that's uh, that half the group was looking at doing, and then there's the Moosey Moose Factory portion that the other half of the group was looking at. So uh, we'll see what what happens. But uh, I'm I'm leaning more towards Moosey Moose Factory and. Uh, Martin Garster is leaning more towards uh, the Wabakimi, so we'll see how things go. It's uh, we're you know we're keeping the group small, so but uh, we'll see how things go. It's, uh, it's you don't, you uh, don't want to head up into Wabakimi, so I do, but I want to get to Moose Moose. I'd like so we were supposed to go last year to Moose Moose Factory, and uh, so as much as as appealing as Wabakimi is, there's only so many vacation days that i have so i have to really pick and choose my vacations right right and so when it comes to picking and choosing i i'm really uh i don't know like there's always time to go to moose moose factory i guess i uh, and and maybe i can the problem is if i do moose moose factory and wabakimi that means i don't get a vacation with a family and stuff like that right i don't you only got a few weeks so it's well uh, the one thing you gotta look at though is with COVID and that, are they going to be allowing bunches so of people that's, be coming that's up, right? Exactly. So that that what that is what might be pushing me towards Wabakimi because uh, you're not you're not entering any uh, northern communities and stuff like that where they're very protective due to COVID. Mm-hmm. And so in Wabakimi, you're just you know a plane drops you off in the middle of nowhere and and then picks you up in the middle of nowhere type thing, right? So it's. Uh, that might be appealing and might be something that I'll have to stick with just because uh, it's, you know, it's, it might be logistically, it might be impossible to get into Moose Moose Factory just because of COVID. Yeah. 
So it's it's one of the thoughts. It's a part of the thought process trying to plan the whole thing, right? Well, so. and that's that's what you got. I mean, you just send out a couple of emails and say, "Hey, listen, what's what do you think it's going to be like?" and find yeah. out, uh, start building from there. Because you don't want to yeah. also spend the next few months planning a trip just to find out. Oh yeah, no, no, you can't come. And, and so that could change at any time, right? Yeah. So we could uh, we could be like a, a week away from hitting the water and or heading up to Cochrane to get onto the water near the Trappers Creek, Abitibi or Missinabi or whatever. And uh, there's multiple routes we're looking at. But uh, so it, it, we could be a week out, and then you know we touch base and check with our uh, the Polar Bear Express tickets on the way back, and they say, oh, by the way, we've just closed down the community due to you know uh, you know we had a the Megatron you know, outburst. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so I, I think the uh, the odds of success are greatly increased with uh, Wabakimi, and rather reduced chances of success for Musni Moose Factory. So it's it's one of those things that uh, we have to take into account trying to plan our routes and trips for the summer. And, and mm-hmm. so it's uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm still I'm still like ninety ninety five percent on board with the uh, Wabakimi trip, but uh, it's uh, I'm really trying to put together this uh, Moosey Moose Factory trip. Yeah, and uh, you know, like like you say, Moose Factory will be there next year yes. too. And it might be better in the coming years. Like once uh, once COVID's behind us and the communities really start to open up, it might be a better chance to really enjoy uh, really enjoy meeting the you know the the locals in in Moose Moose Factory and getting really getting chance to engage with them and and you know looking into the history of the area and mm-hmm. getting out onto James Bay and so I might be kind of reducing my chances of actually enjoying fully enjoying the experience. By going this year, as opposed to maybe going in in two years when uh, when there's a lot less issues regarding COVID, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Well, all so you can do is you make so, your plans and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. I'm almost just just, just having this conversation with right now. It's like it's like, hey, maybe I shouldn't be planning a trip to Moose and Moose Factory. <laughs> maybe I really should wait a year or two. <laughs> yeah. Well. You know, but it, it's it's funny. It's 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 one of those things when you're talking about tripping and talking about trying to plan locations and and so you're you could be dead set on something and just have a simple conversation with somebody. It's like, yeah, you're right. Maybe I should be thinking of this place. Yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes that, and that's that's you know you just throw it out there to the universe and see what happens and answers come back. Exactly. That you may not yeah. want, but they're going to point you in the right direction. Exactly. And then there's also the issue, like with at least with Wabakimi, you're talking, uh, you're talking uh, like a great stretch of uh, of lakes and waterways and stuff like that. But with Moosney Moose Factory, you're talking like uh, any of the uh, like Missinabi, Trappers Creek, Abitibi River. Like it, we were talking low water levels uh, in uh, July, September, and and if you want to get uh, high water levels, you kind of push in late September, October when the rains return. And so it's like, ah, oh, man, it's like the best, the best uh, and low bug times a year is also the low water times a year. So yeah, because we were up there uh, the end of September, and the water was yeah. quite low. And you had some wicked storms too. We had yeah, we had the, those wicked storms come through right at the end. So we ended up leaving a couple of days early because if we yeah. would have stayed, there was a couple of bigger storms coming through that we didn't want to be there for. So. Um, 
Yeah, the end of September. And you were there 2019? Uh, oh, 2018? 18? 18, 19, 18, 19. Yeah. <laughs> Time flies when you're uh, I don't even know what day it is today. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta look at the, the pros and cons and, um, yeah, but exactly. I mean, when you're, when you're going up that way, if you get dropped off at Abitibi Dam, that's a big yeah. portage to the actual water. And then you've got to go around Otter Rapids Hydro Dam and, but there's, I mean, that's a, that's a decent trip. I mean, you know, if, if you're going yeah, up into so there, there will be, the be challenges and stuff, but it's, it's, uh, the opportunity to see the, uh, the open tundra and, and the Northern lands and areas. And it's like, it's, uh, I've never been up there. Like you, you lived up there mm-hmm. way back in the day, but, uh, I've never been there. So it's, it's one of those unique experiences that I, that I'm looking forward to someday. Right. Yeah. Well, if you don't get it done this year, hopefully you can do it next year. Yeah, and all exactly, going well, yeah. then maybe we can plan something, and I'll uh, we may actually trip together. Oh, that'd be nice. Huh? Huh? So, what are your plans this year? Like, are you looking at? I uh, think you could join a Burt Reynolds Memorial River Run this year, or maybe next. I have one trip that I'm I'm still trying to peg somebody down on. Uh, yeah. But other than that, I have not really set anything up just because there is a bunch of stuff I wanted to do across the border yeah. into the States. And I don't know if that's even going to happen this year. Oh, I know. I know. Right? So, so there's, there's, and we keep talking about doing stuff down the States and doing some unique trips down the States. And it's just, there's no confidence in the, in border openings and stuff like that. It's hard to commit to a slot of time, then have it fail due to covid Mm -hmm. so it's like well maybe i shouldn't be planning that this year but see it's easier like if you plan a trip across the border and then the borders close or whatever you can't get you can't go it's i find it absolutely no problems just to turn around and then all of a sudden boom i'm going up here i'm going there for two weeks here's my route here's where i'm going here's when i'm going boom 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 it's easier part of that right now is uh See, I've, I've been, as we all know, due to COVID, there's there's uh, a lot of people who are backcountry camping. Mm-hmm. We talked about uh, the uh, uh, who's doing the the closing down less, like a couple less people. It's a uh, BWCR or something. Oh, uh, Boundary Waters. Boundary Waters. Mm-hmm. So Boundary Waters is like, so they're reducing capacity. Yeah. But that and, Boundary uh, Waters, Quetico's not. Quetico's the Canada side. True. Quetico's a long ways away, too. You're talking like uh, two days there and two days back. So ah, that cuts four days off the trip. And, you can do it in a day. day. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not just got to drive 24 hours. <laughs> well, it's not like the kids have to drive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they'll be grumpy in the back seat. Holy cow. I don't care if you're eight. Take the wheel. <laughs> yes, it's your Daddy turn. Needs to take a nap. That's right, and I hope you got your half of the camping fees. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so but with some a lot of these areas are seeing a uh, an increase in uh, in visitors, mm-hmm. and so with the higher traffic, it's uh, like odds on are. And what I have seen over the last little while is uh, there's been there tends to be a lot of last minute cancellations. Yep. And uh, so it, you can usually find something. It might not be an ideal 
route or trip or you know, can't always get the campsites you want. But, uh, but you know, I think with the last-minute cancellations, uh, there are odds on are you'll be able to find something you can do, right? Oh, yeah. And you know what? If you don't mind, like, I don't mind driving 10 hours to, to go somewhere. Yeah. And then spend yeah. a week or week and a half paddling and then 10 hours home. I don't, I don't mind doing that, which most people do. So when you're talking Algonquin, Killarney sort of deal, all, you know, uh, QE2 wildlands and everything, like all that sort of stuff is booked solid. Well, you drive those extra few hours, you know, world's your oyster. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, so, yeah we'll, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, yeah. it's all up in the air right now. Yeah, but yeah, so maybe uh, it would be it would be actually be awesome if we could uh, do a, a Burt Reynolds trip together and mm-hmm. head up to some northern area and like uh, I I I find flying trips very exciting. It's unique because I don't do I've only done it uh, only done it twice now, so it's, it's always interesting to try and do more of it. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, Maybe the next couple couple years when uh, COVID kind of goes away and we can easily plan some trips. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, there's there's a bunch of spots. It'd be two to three weeks down through the States hitting all these different spots for a few days at a time. Um, But then it would end up being one massive drive back. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Which, you know what, though? Like, I don't mind doing that. I mean, we, we, we did the straight drive back from Woodland Caribou. And that was, that's like a 24 hour drive straight, you know, oh, people, somebody's sleeping, somebody's driving, somebody's helping keep them awake. And then you just rotate sort of thing. Right. And, yeah. uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's brutal, but you know what, if, if the rewards are two weeks of nonstop paddling fun and then two days of crap driving. Yeah. You, Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what do we? We've only got three big topics this week. Yes, but they're big topics. Mm-hmm. So, and what? So, what's this? As did we already say, the episode number we're of three eleven, three hundred eleven already. Eh? And it's the end of January already. <laughs> I know. Like I know. And we finally have snow, so I'm excited. Somewhat excited about that. I so am been, buying uh, a snowblower. <laughs> it's so unpredictable like we haven't had really any snow in four years and then uh what was it last week monday we uh we just like uh, in boneville they were saying that we had 52 centimeters that's a ton of snow that's a lot yeah, of snow. It, was like, uh, it was fluffy 30 inches or fluffy. something or 25 nice. inches or something yeah i don't know 20 inches it was neat though like uh with uh when we talked about this last week, I, I didn't really mention the the. Uh, so I went over to the mother in laws, and so we were shoveling her driveway, and it's a lot of snow. The snow plows came through, so it's like hard packed snow on the apron of the driveway. And uh, I had there was uh, I don't even live on the street, and uh, one neighbor came over uh, and helped shovel for a while, and another neighbor came over and uh, and uh, offered me a beer. I wasn't even doing his driveway. And he just came, hey, do you want a beer? It's like, um, well, no, I have to drive after I'm done shoveling here. But thank you, I appreciate it. And then towards the end of it, another neighbor came over and uh, he showed up with his snowblower and helped snowblow a good portion of the driveway. It's like, 
wow, this is... And everywhere you looked, there was, like, neighbors shoveling each other's driveways. It was like, wow, I, I live on the wrong street. <laughs> wow, sharing is caring. Yeah. I know, it was pretty cool. It was, all the people were out. I was uh, chatting with a neighbor across the street, and I was chatting with the neighbor on the next driveway, and, and it's like, man, I'm talking to all these neighbors, and I don't even live on this street. Apparently, that's Mr. <laughs> Rogers' neighborhood. Yes. Oh, yeah, very wow. friendly, very friendly. Now, we've, yeah. we got uh, snow piled up everywhere, and basically, except for that big snowstorm when the snowblower would have come in handy, I would use a snowblower more for shooting the snow farther in towards the middle of the lawn and uh yeah. we have a, a a phone box next to our driveway nice place for it and i'd gotta shovel that out because it's under about three feet of snow right now and about yeah. four feet back <laughs> 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 and the only reason i was thinking of it is because there was a hum on the phone the other day but uh yeah you know oh, okay like, just to end when certain people decided they would shovel the driveway when I wasn't home, they blocked the gate that goes into our backyard. Oh. So I can't get into my backyard from the front of my house right now. <laughs> I was like, ah. So then I'd have to take the snowblower and mow all that down out of the way. So shoot yeah. my neighbor's backyard or something. I don't know. It's not like he uses the backyard in the winter. <laughs> there you go. That's Howdy, the only neighbor. reason I want a snowblower is just so I could shoot snow everywhere. That's, that's it. I don't care other than that. Yeah. I'm going to build a Quincy in my front yard. I'm going to take everybody's snow and put it in my yard. Oh, I could do that right now. I could do it right now. So um, back when you were in college, remember yeah. they used to offer spring break trips? So, I remember. So in the college I went to, it was uh, it was marine industrial mechanical, and there was some nursing program. I, I don't remember. Maybe it just wasn't something I did. But uh, I was also in the military at the time. But I, don't, I was unaware of any spring trips. And we talked about this before. Mm-hmm. But but so, yes, I know there's a lot of colleges that do put these things on, and and uh, I kind of wish I had taken part in some of these things. Well, back in back in the day. 1990-something or other. Uh, Back in 1922. <laughs> when we were going, the big thing was the the trip companies would come in and offer your students a discounted rate yeah. to go to these destinations over spring break. And they were they were always like Mexico, Jamaica, Cuba, Dominican Republic, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, you and spend your tuition. <laughs> Come yeah, join us. Yeah. Spend your tuition. Well, no, they were. It was really <laughs> cheap. It was like six hundred bucks or something like that, all inclusive. And you basically really? had to pay for your booze when you when you arrived at the airport, like Cancun. When you arrived at the airport, they shuttle you onto this bus, and the bus driver's handing you beers as you're walking onto the bus. <laughs> you know, um, there's. Uh, there was this one cruise we went on. You hit three, this big island. You cruise across the island. You're drinking all the way. And then you go shopping. And then you hop back on the boat and you go to the middle of the island where you go swimming with giant sea turtles, hang out at the beach, that sort of thing. You get oh, back you on the boat and you go to the top of the island where they do this big 
dinner with fire spinners, the whole meal deal, and you're drinking all day. And you get back on the boat and you tootle all the way back to your hotel and you crawl down the gang ramp across the dock up the beach. Because <laughs> you can't stand anymore at that point. Uh, you know, and then you get up the next morning and do something else for, for a week. But there was only like 600 bucks, if I remember correctly, back in the yeah. back then. Uh, so it really if wasn't, I remember correctly, wasn't that bad. For us, when I was in college, like we did booze cruises and stuff. Yeah. So we would take a bus, go to like Brockville or something and get on a boat and they would drive up the, you know, amongst the thousand islands there. And, and, you know, it's just like a big party cruise and we'd yeah. be drinking on the bus and be, but yeah, but we never, I don't recall any flights down south. I think that would be cool though. Mm-hmm. Uh, UNL Outdoor Adventures is offering the University of Nebraska students three exciting spring break adventure trips. This year, activity-related gear, transportation, meals, and instruction are included in the cost of each trip. I didn't actually look into the cost because that, you know, backpacking. It's not an option. (laughs) Yeah, it's not an option for me, apparently. (laughs) So where we went to Mexico, Jamaica, and Cuba, they're offering backpacking in Escalante National Monument, Utah. Or rock climbing in the Wichita Mountains in Oklahoma. Or Texas Canyons canoeing. Well, that's pretty cool. This is these are like outdoors, open air. This is not like a booze cruise, drink your face off on a beach. No. This is actually challenging and outdoor stuff. This is that's pretty amazing. That's uh I would encourage my kids to do stuff like this. It's uh Definitely. I worry about them going off and doing the typical booze cruise stuff when uh, when they get to college. I would still tell them to go to Mexico, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Texas Canyons canoeing 10-day trip. If you seek a real adventure, the remote river canyons of southwest Texas are for you. Participants will cover 83 miles in the tight canyons forged by the iconic Rio Grande River and explore side canyons or remains of abandoned villages. The trip group will spend multiple days on the river with no resupplies or stops at restaurants. Given the remoteness and challenging rapids of of this adventure, participants must be good physical condition and have a positive state of mind. Huh. That oh, that's pretty, pretty cool. Because cool. it's like a day there and a day back sort of thing. So it's like seven, eight days on the river, right? I wonder if we have any college or university kids that uh, listen to our podcast. Go on this one. Let us know how it is. Yes. I would love to hear feedback. So if anybody out there or college or university, like we're going to talk a bit more about this trip, but uh, if there's anybody college or university that are doing these trips and has the opportunity uh, to do one of the, like, for example, go into the uh, Texas Canyons canoeing. I want to hear back from you guys how that trip went. Yeah. So the lower canyons, they say this is one of the best river trips in Texas in terms of isolation and scenery and adventure. It may be possible to spend an entire week in the canyons without seeing another person other than those in your own group. Oh, how great would that be? Yeah. <laughs> 83 miles of the Rio Grande flowing through rugged desert canyons. Uh, they'll encounter many small rapids and depending on water level, a few major rapids, a strenuous portage or two, and a good deal of flat water. 
Each day will consist of four to five hours of paddling, setting up camp, day hiking, cooking and eating delicious camp meals, and relaxing and enjoying the scenery. That sounds amazing. This is really cool for a school trip. I am in. I am in. I will be a chaperone. I'll be, uh, I don't know, I'll do whatever you want. I'll be the camp cook. Can't, oh, no. I'm oh, in. no, 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 no. That's all taken care of. You're, it's a group thing. <laughs> well, the problem is, is I don't go to college or university anymore, so I could only be the camp cook or well, something. Well, <laughs> oh, I can we pick up a night school course at University of there Nebraska and just become <laughs> a student that way? Does that count? There you go. Does that count? <laughs> yes, it does. What are they, I'm sure uh, it does. Uh, continuing education? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Going to night school at the local <laughs> university, or not so local university for us. Yeah, uh, the trips are designed for both beginners as well as people who are more experienced. However, even though a beginner could go on this trip, we advise people to take their physical condition seriously. Canoeing oh, is yes. a very physical sport, and to get the most enjoyment out of the trip, being physically fit is a crucial part of this experience. Which. Goes without saying, really. Um, this sounds this sounds really awesome. It does. All transportation is included. To and from Texas. Yeah. Right. Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. It's all included. So you you hop, I guess they use university vans to load all the stuff. Yeah. It's just like uh like in high school, you do the outdoor ed class, and you go so what, up what, to Algonquin you, Park, sort of thing, right? What university is this? Nebraska. What's what's this University of Nebraska? Yeah. Huh. Weather is very variable and subject to is change. <laughs> no, I call I call bull on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, following our averages for mid March. Average high temperatures seventy degrees Fahrenheit. Average low temperature forty degrees Fahrenheit. Sunrise at seven thirty, sunset at seven thirty. So that's a good 12 hours of daylight. I had to uh, convert 70 Fahrenheit is 21 Celsius. That's comfortable. Yeah. And uh, the low is 40? Yeah. That is uh, 4 degrees Celsius. That's not bad. It's probably at night, right? Yeah. It gets yeah, chilly yeah, yeah. at night. That's not bad. Exactly. As, oh. If anybody is in any uh, any of these uh, arid areas where, you know, any desert or any dry areas or any canyon areas, like, you expect low temperatures because you don't have the uh, the staying. The, the, what we're used to is where we are is uh, the daytime high kind of hangs on and, you know, typically any uh, urban area holds the heat. So These but, don't. Uh, but yeah, not out there, not out in the, out in, the uh, in these areas. So, but still, forty degrees at night—that's four mm-hmm. Celsius. Seventy is twenty-one during the day. That's some nice temperatures. Yeah, great sleep. You're not there. overheating. You're not freezing. It's just perfect. Uh, they'll be camping for the entirety of the trip. Camping will be at remote sites located along the riverbanks of the Rio Grande. Uh, these campsites are considered backcountry campsites. Backcountry sites will, of course, have no facilities. Uh, we will be carrying out all our trash, including human waste. There you go. We will con- uh, cover personal hygiene at the pre-trip meeting. 
<laughs> so cooking in group tasks, you say. As with all aspects of this expedition, cooking and camp chores will be a group effort. The group will be divided into teams. Each team will be assigned a task for the day. These include cooking, setting up camp, doing the dishes for the group. All meals are provided. So they the, this trip, all the meals are provided, but you just got to cook them and clean them and all that yeah. sort of stuff, right? Which is cool. Which is expected. Water will be chemically treated from springs found along the river. It's, it's, I find it odd over the last few years, the number of people that have, that are chemically treating their water. As opposed to filtering. As opposed to filtering. Yeah. And it just seems to be the last couple of years. A lot of people I know have gone to, to chemicals and I, I, I can't understand why I got so far away from that because there's nothing like drinking water with that chemical taste. Ugh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. So I, I can see where. You have a, a large group of people, a lot of filtration. So it, that that's a they probably do it out of the. So for one, chemically chemically treating, you're talking what half hour to an hour. You're waiting for the yeah. water to clarify, and uh, there's effort in filtering, unless you have gravity filters. But there's an expense thing. You drop a couple tablets into a jug of water, and uh, and your water's clean to drink or safe to drink in half an hour, but. Uh, with filtering is uh, there's a higher expense like on a tip depending on how silty the water is then uh, you may be going through a couple of filters a trip type thing right with that many people yeah so maybe it's a it's a cost and efficiency thing it's well and if they fill up a big cheaper. jug and throw it in the boat and then drop the yeah. drop the um, chemicals in <clears throat> and then paddle it's it's exactly it's clarifying yeah. while you're paddling right yeah uh, to minimize impact, we'll be practicing the follow the the leave no trace principles. Yeah, uh, they get into expedition behavior about taking care of yourself and other group members. Uh, you know, everybody signs up these things for their own reasons. So, you know, um, you got to realize that it's not just about you; it's about everybody. Your presence and behavior of the trip affects each other's experiences in all sorts of ways. If you're not healthy, like you're you're finding that you're not drinking enough water, um, you know, they say it's important to stay hydrated, to not necessarily endanger yourself and communicate concerns with the trip leaders, because if you're not feeling well, it affects everybody around you. Exactly. So the take care of yourself and everybody People have to carry else. your load and people have to care for you. And yeah. It's, yeah, exactly. Um, characteristics such as respectfulness, flexibility, tolerance of others, courtesy, direct communication, self-awareness, and teamwork become critical when traveling in groups in remote areas. Proper expedition behavior can make a difference between an enjoyable experience and a great one. Which, perfect, you know, like yeah. all of this sounds like a, like summer camp. <laughs> yes. Camp sleep away. It, it really is. Smoking alcohol, <laughs> cell phones, no no alcohol or illegal substances. Uh, we encourage you not to smoke uh, as on this trip as a wellness challenge, and no cell phone use during the canoeing portion of the trip. That sounds awesome. Where <laughs> were does. these it trips really good. when I was doing? I know, my education. Right? No cell phone use during the canoeing portion. What are the yep. influencers going to do? 
I, I don't know, but can you get cell phone reception in the canyons? No, that's that's another thought I was thinking about. Hey, you're in the middle of nowhere. Uh, <laughs> are cell phones actually going to work? But you know what? It, it makes sense. Like the last thing you need is somebody, you know, screaming into a phone in the middle of a canyon as you're uh, going down a river somewhere, and it's like, come on, buddy. Yeah, that, to enjoy uh, the outdoors, not to listen to you talk on your phone and uh, do selfies and duck lips all the way down the river. <laughs> duck lips. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, good times. I, I, if I was in Nebraska, I'd be pulling a couple of night school courses just so I could do this. Because <laughs> yeah. you know, there's going to be a discount as opposed to you going and doing it yourself. Yes. And all you basically yeah. have to do is show up. They give you a list of stuff to bring, and you show up. That's it's so cool. That, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. We're moving this show to Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> well, they might need some uh, some uh, in-stream podca- podcasters. Uh, you know, we could we could lend a lot of experience to the group, right? So, yeah, they should bring us down there for free. Oh yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> out of the goodness I'd... of their hearts. <laughs> See you in March, people. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, that sounds that it's sounds cool. really cool, though. That re- it really does. Yeah, it's it's come a, a long like way. I've never, I never, I never saw those opportunities when I went to college. I never heard about stuff like that. So this is, uh, I guess, it's a progress thing, right? Because instead of the uh, the you know the the Mexican the parties in Mexico, Mexican beaches and stuff like that, it's uh, so that's typically what you hear about people. You know, hey, we're going on March break, is so, oh. You know, like typically you hear about uh, teachers talking. Well, that's my experience because I know a lot of teachers. It's like, okay, it's March break. I'm going to Mexico. Mm-hmm. See you later. So, so and of the, course, you so, see all the something. You, you, you see all the the parties down in Florida and stuff too, right? Yes, exactly. The beaches are loaded, and, mm-hmm. and so just to be able to the opportunity to, to get out, get away from people, and be on the river and. And it's a relatively small group of people, and everybody's helping each other out. You're, it's just a paddle trip. It's that that sounds completely awesome to me. Well, you know, and not everybody's into the big party drinking thing on the beach. No, exactly. Yep. You know, there, there's. I mean, we enjoyed it when we went, but not everybody did. People, people yeah. didn't go because it wasn't it wasn't their cup of tea, right? Yep. Tracy ended up in Jamaica. Oh, yeah, yeah. I ended up in Cancun. She went to Jamaica. Oh yeah, yeah. There you go. So, <laughs> eh, whatever. <laughs> See, I wouldn't want to be a. Uh, all right, what else we got here? Oh, you brought this one to me. Operation Frankton. Yes. So I there's there's this guy that I he has some he has some vlogs and he does some YouTubes and stuff like that. He talks about history and. And whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So it's uh, this was uh, this was pretty cool. So I, like I was, I was, I I resisted messaging you because I thought I should really listen to the end of this before I send John a message <laughs> in case it doesn't turn out exactly what I thought. Because I've done that before, and it's like, oh, I guess I shouldn't have messaged him. This is stupid. So but as Drew was driving across really... the country, he had a canoe on his roof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he didn't exactly. actually use it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I came across this thing, and it was like. 
oh, this is amazing. This is so. This is back in World War II, 1942, and uh, and so they're looking for. Everybody's looking for different ways to get the edge in uh, to, to kind of come out above in in the war, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so this was. Uh, like they're talking about Dunkirk, and they had previously uh, they were fighting the Germans and invading France, bomber missions. So this one here, and there was a lot of history. Like they talked about the main guy, and uh, they talked about how he, his experience and his desires and his plan to create this mission because he he built canoes, he built kayaks, he knew how to build watercraft, and he was one of these guys that. Uh, like he typically would have been off uh, camping, fishing in, in the backcountry and stuff like this. And well, during times of war, they need people, right? Mm-hmm. So it was. Uh, I I just thought it was really neat the perspective of uh, of putting a mission together using canoes or kayaks in this case. Yeah. And uh, and to create this mission. So I I just I, I just it's just like ah oh, that's pretty cool. So these guys they. Uh, they, so it, you go ahead. You say some. I'm going to read a bit down here and uh, what's well, your opinion. Well, so in 1942, World War II is in full swing at this point. The British yeah. had evacuated from Dunkirk two years previous because Germany invaded France. Uh, bomber missions were the norm, as well as raids behind enemy lines by small groups. But the and and the but the British didn't really have any. Um, way of protecting the, 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 the English Channel or the Germans coming through. And the Bay of Biscay, port of Bordeaux in southwestern France, had become a major destination for supplies to support the German war effort at this point. Uh, Bordeaux became a prime target for Allied forces, but the problem being that it was, it was like it's 100 kilometers inland. Uh, the mouth of the river uh, at the Bay of uh, Biscay too well protected, so naval assault wasn't possible. Daytime bomber flights would be spotted and shot down. Uh, nighttime bomber flights would be inaccurate and risk the lives of many civilian casualties. Which, I mean, as much as you want to bomb the boats, you don't want to be killing half the population of Bordeaux either. So there was exactly. a, a solution was needed. No one had anything. Ideas were shot back and forth. Royal Marines Major Herbert Blondie Hassler. Um, he grew up, and as you say, he developed a passion for small watercraft and sailing. And as a boy, he even built his own canoes from instructions he found in a magazine. He would paddle around Portsmouth Harbor, the Isle of Wight, all that sort of stuff. You know, learning paddling because it was his passion. So knowing how maneuverable these smaller craft were... In 1941, he submits this plan, which the Admiralty of the Navy said, you know what, that's just dumb. Uh, Forget it. (laughs) Here, There's a door. Don't look at the door. What are you talking about? (laughs) However, in December of 1941, Italian frogmen used two submersible submarines, uh, or sorry, two-man submersibles, to plant mines on British ships in the port of Alexandria in Egypt and seriously damage two battleships. So all of a sudden they're thinking, well, if they can do it, yes, get, get Hassler back in here. 
So nineteen forty two out of the box outside the box type thing. It's like, come on, yeah. guys, let's let's we need some way to get back. Yeah. So in forty two, uh, they established the canoe raiding force base at Lumps Fort. They exercised in Portsmouth Harbor, where he grew up paddling. Uh, patrolled the harbor anti-submarine net booms, which they became known as the Royal Marines Boom Patrol Detach- Detachment, uh, RMBPD. And later, after the war, it became the Special Boat Service, which I do believe is still a thing. Uh, so his plan was to take six two-man kayaks by submarine across the English Channel to the Gironde estuary at the, the, the mouth of the river that went down to Bordeaux uh, in the Bay of Biscay. They would paddle at night and hide during the day to avoid ship patrols. Paddling 97 kilometer route to the to the port, and once at the port, they would attempt to sink six to twelve cargo ships, then escape overland into Spain. That's the plan, and you yeah. can see right off the bat why they're thinking, "Dude, what do you? What's wrong with you?" Right? I know it's, but it's it's such a low key. And uh, it it doesn't seem like a giant uh, or any major military effort to do this, but Mm -hmm. uh, you don't need uh, any major military effort like at Dunkirk and so on and and D-Day. And you, if you can get what you want to achieve on a small, small, low-key mission like this, it's. But it's uh, what's it's pretty neat that they actually found success in this, right? Well, there was the problem was was getting down the river. There were so many Absolutely, German patrol yeah. boats and everything. That's what they yeah. said. Like you're, you're going to be caught. There's no way you're getting down there. So Hassler actually the, the the kayaks the military had just were too flimsy. So Hassler designed a new kayak model for the job and designated it the Mark II Cockle. It was 15 feet long, uh, held two men. The sides were canvas the bo- and a flat bottom. Each kayak would hold two men, eight limpet mines. Now, the limpet mines attached to the side of the ship. And there was a little uh, flask of, uh, I can't remember what was in it, but it was an acid that would eat through the trigger mechanism and then that would cause it to explode. And depending, yes, depending on what acid you used, it would like you could it would blow up in like half hour. Or would, the stronger the acid, or the, the weaker the acid, the the, the longer it took. Blow up like yeah. sixteen hours later or something. Yeah. So eight limpet mines, three sets of paddles, a compass, a depth sounding reel, repair bag, flashlight, camouflage net, waterproof watch, fishing line, two hand grenades, a forty five Colt pistol, a fighting knife. Rations and water for six days, and a magnet to hold the kayak against the cargo ship. That's all that was in the kayak. Yeah, but you can see the planning went into this. Eh? They, they, everything's covered off here. Oh yeah. So six kayaks, twelve men, plus a thirteenth man in reserve, just in case we're given their targets. The kayaks, one, two, three, four, five, six kayaks, uh, named after marine animals. There was the catfish, the crayfish, the conger. Cuttlefish, coalfish, and catchalot. Catchalot is just another name for a sperm whale, I found out. Yeah. So they did all their, their, their exercises. They even did a couple of practice runs uh, on home turf. And uh, November 30th, 1942, 
The boats left from Scotland aboard the HMS uh, Tuna, the submarine. December 7th, uh, which I'm thinking, what's, what happened December 7th? A year earlier, December 7th is when Japan invaded Pearl Harbor. Yes. So December 7th, a year later, they reached uh, the estuary and surfaced approximately 15 kilometers from the mouth. So the Cachalot's hull was de- so they had a they had they built the the kayaks together inside the submarine so that yep. they could take them out the the hatch <clears throat> lay them on the hull and then load them and off they go the cachalot's hull was damaged while being passed out from the submarine hatch so that so there's left two guys down so that's two yeah. guys down so that left five kayaks to battle strong tides and winds that night the coal fish disappeared the conger capsized in five-foot waves and was scuttled. Uh, the two guys in the conger hung on to kayaks as they got closer to shore, and then they left those two guys to swim to shore when they got close enough. The remaining three kayaks, so this <laughs> out of six, there's three, uh, continued on. Soon after getting closer to shore, they met up with the missing coalfish, so you're back to four kayaks now. At a major checkpoint, the cuttlefish became separated from the group. So there's a major cu- uh, checkpoint that they had to go through, and they're saying they're laying flat, paddling slowly and silently to get past these uh, patrol boats and everything, right, through this thing, and they made it through. Uh, while the three remaining kayaks paddled um, 32 kilometers, 20 miles, hiding during the day. The, so the next day while they were hiding, the coal fish was discovered and the crew was captured. So that's two yes. kayaks left, the, the catfish yep. and the crayfish. So the, the catfish is where Hassler was. That was the lead, the lead boat. So he's still in it. This, so the second day they paddled 35 kilometers, 22 miles. Uh, the next night they paddled 24 kilometers, 15 miles. The third night, 14 kilometers, nine miles. They spent the night in hiding to rest because they knew what was coming uh, before paddling to Bordeaux on December 11th. So they're doing all this paddling at night. Now you've paddled at night. And like, it's an eerie feeling. Could you imagine doing that knowing that you're in behind enemy lines at this point? Well, you're paddling at night. So when I've paddled at night, I've had a headlamp. You can't have a headlamp. So no. you're paddling at night in the dark, trying not to ground out. You're trying to follow the river. And hopefully there's some little bit of moonlight or whatever, or some something on shore to guide your way up the river. It's uh, So I can't imagine the difficulty and the challenges and the risks. It's... Uh, and you it's can't like be too oaks. close to shore either because of, you know, there's going to be sentries and stuff along the shoreline. Yes. Right? Yep. So with just two kayaks left, Hassler and the catfish took the western side of the docks and the crayfish took the eastern side of the docks, right? So they they were all had, okay, you guys are, when it was the original six kayaks, they were all given targets. Well, now that was right out the window. So they yes. just said, okay, you guys go that way, hit as many as you can. We'll go this way, hit as many as you can and be out of here and, and hit the bricks, right? Yeah. So... Uh, three and a half hours they were around those ships. 
Yes, yeah, so they, they anchored all their mines on the hulls. Yep. And uh, and headed back on down the river, paddling till 6 a.m. Later, they learned yeah. that six ships were damaged. So it was a success. They blew yeah. holes in six ships. Yeah. Uh, the crews of the catfish and crayfish beached their kayaks, scuttled them so they would not be found, then set off separately for the border of Spain. Now, the trick, the thing was just before you get to the border, they were going to meet up with this, the, the uh, French resistance and they would smuggle them into Spain. And then from there, they would head back to, uh, to, to, to England. Uh, the crew of the crayfish were captured two days later. Hassler and yes. uh, his paddling partner, they actually made it to Spain. And out of the 12 guys that were there, uh, out of the 10 that actually paddled, they were yeah. the only two that made it, that survived the actual raid. Mm-hmm. All the rest were captured and killed. So varying, varying amounts of success. Yeah. Unfortunately. Since the river was fairly shallow at the docks, the ships were repaired easily enough. Now, they say later on that there is actually evidence was hidden that one of the ships was really seriously damaged. So there, I guess it's a no one... It was said it was seriously damaged, but no one out of uh, fear was going to admit to, yes, it actually was, sort of thing. Yes. Um, and it's 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 a mission. You do you don't t- say how much damage you've taken. You don't talk about uh, like just like well, Spanish flu was happening during World War One, and nobody really knew how bad Spanish flu was because it was uh, it was bad. Most of the countries who had Spanish flu never talked about it. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's like that would indicate that they're weakened. So the same thing here. It's like you don't talk about your failures. Yeah, well, because if also if they say you know yeah six of our boats were damaged beyond repair, then your enemy is going to go oh let's do this again, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the ships were repaired easily enough, but what it did was force Germany to increase large amounts of men and resources to protect Bordeaux and other ports for from future raids. Yeah. Right. So now all of a sudden they got to put all this money and resources into protecting these these ports. Uh, Winston Churchill said because of that, it knocked about six months off the war. Really? That's amazing. Yeah. The success of this mission inspired similar strikes like one against the Japanese in Singapore Harbor, which sank six of their ships. Oh, there you go. So it was a a start. So yeah, little things like this have happened before, but they say this is the first one uh, that really captured the imagination and really stuck out the most. So yeah. yeah, all the all in kayaks. That's like that's wild. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, you, you know, I, I say pretty cool, but it was uh, unfortunately they they did lose. Uh, you know, there there was a lot of eight people they lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, it was they they found success. But uh, it's the the unique manner with which they uh, they met this challenge and the mission and so on. So it's, uh, and again, like we always try to stay true to form and, and talk about, uh, you know, paddle sports and canoes and kayaks and so on. So this, this kind of fit right into our wheelhouse in, in our discussions. Of, Just a little uh, bit of history. Uh, yeah, a little bit of history. So it was kind of neat to uh, to see this history and how they used uh, paddlecraft to, uh, the British used paddlecraft to fight the Germans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was really, 
neat uh, reading up on that and watching that guy's YouTube video and that. So yeah. awesome. Awesome. Uh, we got one, one other thing here. Uh, there was 50 epic trips in the United States. 19 of them are paddle related. Yes. So we want to go through these quickly. Oh, yes. So quickly, I thought but, yeah. this was, uh, it's another thing I came across. And so this was, uh, published, you know, years ago and there's, there's, uh, it's ago. kind of a, been revisited now because of, uh, of COVID. And I'm sure some journalist was like, Hey, we need an article. We got to put something <laughs> together. But what they came up with a list of, uh, so I like, regardless of water, whatever the, these 50 states, these 50 states of adventure, I thought so many of them were amazing. Like uh, paddlecraft or not, there's so many of them that I want to participate in, right? Yeah, and just so not they, enough time and, in the day. Oh, there's not enough time. But it's just this is just such a amazing list of things. It's like, oh, I want to do that. <laughs> uh, well, let's start at the front. Well, the top one for number one you got here. Sure. So uh, we'll we'll take turns here. So uh, this one here I, I thought was interesting. So we all we all talk about. Uh, I think it's called Route One. So you uh, so go from Northern California, Southern California, the Coastal Drive. It's all like you're driving along the cliffs, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a 60 mile stretch of road. Uh, it's roadless Northern California. So you can't get there by car. So it's, uh, you'd have to paddle it or come in by boat somehow. So it's a roadless section of Northern California coastline. It's really one of the last really wild places on the West coast. Uh, so you can wander black sand beaches. You can, you can surf, you can, you can roast wild mushrooms over or wild mussels over a driftwood campfire, all in the shadow of the King Mountains. So this is like, hey, you want to do an epic kayak trip, a coastal trip? Like you pick a nice weather window and and you can paddle, you know, this section of coastal uh, north north northern California coastline, and it's like, oh, it just sounds so amazing, right? Yeah, it'd be it'd be nice to set up your tent on the beach and just stay for a few days. Oh, wouldn't that be, be something? Awesome. awesome. Oh. Uh, sea kayak in Mystic, Connecticut. An hour outside of Hartford, the shipbuilding village dates to 1654, and you can still find old school schooners docked at the seaport. After exploring Fisher's Island Sound, kayak to nearby Mumford Cove or Mouse Island to dig for fresh clams and oysters. And even like kayaking and paddling around these old schooners and stuff would be pretty cool as well. Yeah, I've, I, 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 we've, I think we've both done this. I've no, I've done this. It's like you come into a little harbor, you, you paddle among the docks and look at the big boats, yeah. and and it's like, oh, look at that. Yeah, <laughs> so no, we did this that up would in be, Tobomori. this would be amazing. Yes, nope. yes, yeah. we did. Yes, yeah. yeah. So then there's the paddle of the Florida Everglades. Now we've discussed this in the past. We've covered this off, and uh, I, I know that uh, what is Alan and John Van Berger they uh, they've they've done some trips down in this area, and and uh, I know John's done it a few times. So there's uh, so it's and we've also talked about this what six oh a few ago? months back yeah yeah a few uh, months back yeah so. It's a series of rivers that come out of the Everglades. It's uh, like the Watson, Watson and the Chatham. Uh, so there's, uh, and we talked about this. Uh, so in this article here, they're talking about fishing guide Steve Huff 
you get in a boat with him, you do, it's like 12 hours of going places where you won't see another human. And we talked about renting these uh, cabins on the, on the shores of the mm-hmm. Everglades. And, and so they're these fully enclosed. It's like an Airbnb type style thing. And uh, so you can canoe and kayak and paddle into these areas. There's uh, it may not be a very one. There's like lots of mosquitoes. There's alle- what, what do they have? Alligators or crocodiles? Crocodiles are still gators and crocodiles. Apparently, <laughs> they got them both. But uh, but you can you, know, you you can do some fly fishing. You can get back into some of the creeks. You can you know cast off for uh, giant tarpon, and you can see gators and oh, gators and crocodiles. Look at that! It's right here. It's uh, it's as close to a flashback of what Florida was centuries ago as you're ever going to find. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, yeah, I've, it's one of those things that's, uh, we've talked, we've probably talked about the Florida Everglades probably about eight times since we started this podcast. Yeah, and we'll it's get one there of those one things day. It's like, one day, one, one day, day we will. When they remove all <laughs> the big snakes and the big reptiles. Yes. All the bitey, yes. killy things. We're there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, here's one I didn't know. Kayak or canoe at camp at the Indiana Dunes National Lakeshore. A 15,000-acre reserve outside Michigan City boasts picturesque dunes, savannas, swamps, and some 15 miles of pristine Lake Michigan shoreline. For a morning of lounging, you'll find fewest crowds at Mount Baldy Beach, then you can hit the five-mile Cowles Bog Trail for an endurance-testing afternoon hike. But yeah, all the paddling and that that you could do there, and uh, like oh, said, yeah. the, the dunes, the savannas, and the swamps—that's awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's a. Yeah, I think that would be a beautiful area. Mm-hmm. Now, another thing that we've talked about a few times is uh, tripping in in the, the North Main Woods. So, yeah. like. Uh, I we might have talked about this maybe three times, four times over the re- over the time of uh, the podcast, but so this one here kind of it reminded me of uh, one of the uh, Burt Reynolds Memorial River runs where we were in uh, in Quebec, and it, there's a lot of these uh, old school sporting camps that you can that back in the day because it was back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. You would uh, there. It was a thing to belong to these sporting camps. Yeah. And so here you can uh, you can uh, go through the North Main Woods and you can rent or book almost like Airbnb one of these uh, these old school sporting camps and you can paddle your way through the North Main Woods. It's uh, the fishing's good. It's common in the North Main Woods. It's a 3.5 million hectare acre expanse of wild semi wild timberlands that spans the upper third of the state. Um, so the guy here who was uh, who was discussing it, he says uh, it was it's uh, T. Edward Dickens. He's uh, he writes for Field and Stream. He says once a year I make the trip to stay at one of the 15 or so sporting camps that remain in this old growth frontier. They're part of a tradition that dates back to the mid 1800s when hunters fishermen, outdoor types from across New England began to flock to these north woods to spend their vacations. Today, these little-known and increasingly rare retreats still serve as an entry point to the near-endless wilderness, teeming with grouse, woodcock, and mouse. A favorite camp of his of uh, is Chandler Lake Lodge, three hours north of Bangor, Maine. It's in the bullseye of the best brook trout waters in the lower 48 with tons of hiking, canoeing, and kayaking options to boot. 
but no matter at which camp you end up, staying at one feels like you've been beamed into a 1950s LL Bean catalog thanks to the hand-hewn cabins and lumberjack chic amenities, and the venture is as real as it gets. That's T. Edward Nickens. Hmm. Yeah, that, that used to be sounds... the big thing, eh? The, the yeah. sports clubs. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. And like I said, uh, like you see them in, uh, you see them in like Tomogamy, uh, you see them in Northern Quebec or, or I should say Southern Quebec, uh, like uh, up along the uh, Noir River. And, and uh, so the, the, all these things, there, there's a, a few that are still running, but not as popular as they used to be, but uh, they're still, they're still going, so, still going strong. Yeah. Cool. That, and yeah. And that, that, that North Maine. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, kayak the Delmarva Peninsula in Maryland. Though the 180-mile-long Delmarva Peninsula between Chesapeake Bay and the Atlantic Ocean is technically connected to the mainland, uh, the vibe is pure island. Life in the hamlets of Crisfield, Havre de Grace, and Rock Hall still revolve around the ports upon which they were founded, and driving through you'll pass marshes teeming with crabs, cypress forests, and black mud swamps. To really feel like you're in another world, uh, there's a 37-mile-long barrier island on Delmarva's east coast. There you can camp on the dunes where wild ponies and seek a deer still roam. That'd be neat. Camping, know, right? camping there, you get up in the morning and there's all these wild ponies walking by. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, paddling so through. Yeah, I mean, see, you know, paddling through uh, these marshes with crabs and cypress forests and stuff. That'd be neat. So moving on to the state of Missouri. So canoeing and fishing in the North Fork of the White River in Missouri. So uh, the 109-mile North Fork outside of Mount Grove is... Uh, so this area, it's uh, so you can find the Midwest's largest wild rainbow trout population. It rivals the West uh, Big Freestone Rivers. Uh, canoe, canoe from Rainbow Springs down the Dot Mill Dam for a chance for to stick a twenty incher or hit up a guide to get really get on to fish. So North Fork of the White River in Missouri. Yeah, if you're into paddling and fishing. Oh, that, that's yeah. the spot, man. And yeah, if you can get yourself a, a local guide, they're gonna they're gonna yep. know where to go. Canoe float through Upper Missouri River Breaks Monument in North Central Montana. Uh, you can canoe float through the Upper Missouri River Breaks Monument in North Central Montana is fantastic. It's been a decade since I visited, and I'm planning to return this summer. The first trip was with the family when my boys were still in school. This summer, I want to experience the river alone. It's a good place to reflect on life and have an internal conversation. It will also afford me the chance to take a few side hikes. I'm sure the third time I experience the upper Missouri will be when I'm an old man and the boys and their families will haul me along. Conrad <laughs> Anchor, Mountaineer. So you, you know, can see the love that these people have for these backcountry areas, right? Yeah. Like Montana, Upper Missouri River Breaks Monument. It's It sounds like a beautiful place. And going solo. You know, it's, it's something to right? do, do these some of these rivers with a group. And then you go back solo and you see it in a total different way. 
You do, yes. So you're not thinking about the happiness of the group. You're not uh, trying to fit into the group. You're not trying to say, oh, hey, well, you know, you guys want to go here today. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. It's You're just on your own. It's just, it, there's no discussion. It's just like, I'm doing this. Yeah. I'm doing a solo trip. I'm going to enjoy myself and whatever, right? So it's, I think the appeal of a solo trip is really hard to compare. And I like the the feeling you get from his article here where he's bringing his kids so he's the guide and then he's going by himself while his kids are out doing different things and yeah. then his kin- kids will then be bringing him in his old age sort of as a, a last goodbye, drag him along. Yeah. you know, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Uh, the next uh, one so, we've talked so about, we've but talked in Texas. And so what's funny is uh, one thing that kind of rem- brings this back to mind is uh it, it, i just thought it was funny it was uh so they'd be so this is it's we called talked about this before it's called tanking it's these big water troughs that you'd uh water the the cattle on the on the and, and so they put people in these things and you could plink cans on the shoreline people take guns with them and whatever yeah but anyways the, the fun thing about this is it's just you're not steering this is just a giant round uh cattle water trough and uh you're just you're in there you're going to float down the river and it's called tanking they put and so this one chairs yes yeah. <laughs> so this one here it's uh, they they call this a nebraska original so this is cedar river in nebraska and uh, it's called tanking it involves you retrofit an eight foot stock tank it, like I said, it's for water and cattle. It's a, you do a lazy river float, just like you do on like uh, air, tu- uh, in, like inner tubes and stuff like that to float down the river. And so it's topped with plastic picking table and chairs. That way, get together with a couple buddies, pounce a beer back, lazily drift down there and watch the scenery. And uh, what better way to uh, kill a hot Midwestern afternoon? So it's we like I said we've talked about this before, and uh, it's a pretty neat uh, perspective on on doing. You're not exactly paddling, but it's still a watercraft. Mm -hmm. It works. (laughs) There's a company out of there, Get Tanked. They operate out of Ericsson and offer three hour floats down the Cedar River. (laughs) Could you imagine coming into work? So what'd you do this weekend? Well, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There's a, there's a very satisfying Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> East Coast serving on the Manasquan Inlet in New Jersey. Manasquan you don't think of New Jersey as a. You don't think of New Jersey as a surfing mecca, but. Well, you know, it's on the East Coast, right? Yeah, and I mean the east coast of uh, like Nova Scotia and stuff. You hear yes. about it, so it's got to go down yep. the coast. So okay. they're they're constantly good, constantly crowded, especially in summer. But the surfing is prime year round, and come fall, the beaches will be deserted, making the perfect time to hit the water. So if you're into the uh, stand up paddleboard surfing, perfect yep. for you. Hit, head oh, head, yeah. to, head to New Jersey. <laughs> And the next one we've, um, we've talked about because it's like two hours from us. Oh, yes. So two, three hours. So yeah. we're talking here about Thousand Islands. And uh, so the gist of this, uh, what they're getting at here is uh, like, so we all know about the Thousand Islands. It's on the St. Lawrence Seaway heading, you know, and uh, it um, 
it, you have the on the Canadian side. There's the park on the St. Lawrence River. On the American side, it's uh, so again. This is uh, New York State, and so Thousand Islands. Like they talk about Thousand Islands, they're not a thousand islands, but it's a lot of islands. Two thousand. Right? <laughs> yeah, two thousand islands. So it's uh, in the chain of islands in in uh, northern New York State. It's uh, it's it's all strung along the St. Lawrence River. It's uh, it's miles long with lots of communities and rocks and few trees. Uh, so it straddles the border. It's uh, it's a nice area. But what you can do is uh, you can fish for like bass, muskie, pike, walleye. It's the water's great. It's clear. What it is is Lake Ontario draining down through the St. Lawrence, right? And uh, so there's all these little like there's well there's the uh, there's Wellesley Island State Park campsites, miles of trails. There's a marina. You can rent a John boat for cruising. You can there's lots of stuff to do. But you could rent your own island like. There's a lot of these, uh, you can Airbnb it, there's a lot of campsites on these islands, so you can go and find your own little private paradise on in the Thousand Islands, and uh, so there's lots of affordable rental houses, um, they sh- you might be sharing an island with a few other houses, but it's a nice secluded area, and you get, you know, you get to head north to Canada's Thousand Islands National Park, where you can paddle out and camping in uninhabited islands it's just sounds amazing like i i i know a lot of people do scuba diving in the area yeah there's lots of wrecks there just you know a lot of ships go down but it's a it's a really nice area thousand islands and if you want to paddle the area kayak the area it's a really nice time yeah there's a lot of people that go out there paddling and uh and boating through there it's beautiful oh there. yeah yeah uh, we always hit gananoque uh there's a big bridge yes. that goes over right and then we'll so sometimes we'll drive on the Canadian side, hit Gananoque over to the U.S. side, drive up to is it Brockville that we cross back over, and then head north to Ottawa. Okay, yeah. just to get a different, uh, you know, different scenery. Yes. Pick us some milk and jugs instead of bags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, canoe the Susquehanna River in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, the Susquehanna River Trail middle section spans 50 miles from Sunbury to Middletown and has 23 primitive island campsites for public use. Volunteers maintain the semi-wild waterway, helping make it one of the most scenic parts of the state. See, that's not too far from us, even. Oh, it's pretty close, yeah. 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 Uh, the next one is... Uh Newport, Rhode Island. So anybody who uh, who uh, knows any, uh, there's like Newport is a it's a military base. There's lots of areas there. It's a it's a sea coast, so it's salt water. It's it's really nice. And so, but you can catch some really nice waves at the Ruggles Beach. Newport at its heart, it's a water town. It's uh, you know you, like uh, canoeing, kayaking, paddleboard stuff like that. But uh, it's by boat. It's the best way to experience it. So you get up at dawn, paddle out past the towering uh, stone walls at Fort Adams at the mouth of Newport Harbor, and then you can take in all the. So this is something that I've been. You know, you you, you read about this. It's the Gilded Age. It's the way they make mansions back along that day in the 1800s. They called it the Gilded Age. So you can you imagine paddling along at like dawn and in your kayak along the uh, on along the ocean on along the shoreline, and you see all these Gilded Age mansions high up on the hills and cliffs. 
it's like oh look at that that would be an amazing so Rhode Island is uh is one of the first areas where it, where uh, you know these gilded age mansions were built and I I just think that would be amazing dawn paddle by kayak yeah well you get those those um those sunrises that's awesome really really oh, yeah. yes beautiful yeah to watch. sunrise across the water and oh yeah yeah not hidden behind mountains or trees or whatever. No. Open ocean sunrise. You don't have to choose your campsite to hopefully get a sunrise <laughs> as opposed to a sunset. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, paddle Charleston's saltwater flats in South Carolina. Vast salt march- marshes that surround Charleston are home to some of the best redfish f- uh, fly fishing in the South. Charleston Angler and West Ashley can outfit you with the right flies and you can find lots of good hard bottom low grass areas at the mouth of the Ashley River if you're wading or for a more productive day you can paddle your way around. So if you're into uh, fishing from a kayak or a a canoe uh, that's perfect place to go. Either way afterward head down to Folly Beach for crab cakes fresh oysters, fried fish, and a bucket of beer at Bowen Island Restaurant, a beachside plywood shack that's easily the best seafood joint in the state. Oh, there you go. That'd be a good dinner and lunch, (laughs) breakfast, (laughs) dinner. (laughs) Reminds me of the stories you'd tell when you were in... uh uh down south and you were you know there'd be a barbecue guy right on the oh, curb outside your hotel and down in mississippi <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good just gonna have flashbacks now <laughs> briskets and ribs yeah. and wings and <laughs> you name it getting the meat sweats as we talk Woo, is it hot in here <laughs> <laughs> So this next one, we're back to the Texas again. So, cacking the blue waters of the Devil's River. So, uh, about two hours outside of Del Rio, it's uh, the Devil River. It's uh, it's one of the wildest and it's a uh, pure stretch of white water in Texas. Um, it's uh, fed almost entirely by natural springs. It's a uh, they got a it's got like a Caribbean blue. Uh, gash through the soaring sun bleached lime cliffs, limestone cliffs. It uh, uh, large and small with bass, bass, catfish, giant carp. Landscape is the draw. So this is a beautiful area to go to. The river runs through the harsh Chihuahuan Desert. Chihuahuan Desert. Yep. It's a it's savanna lake. It's a uh, Edwards Plateau. The shrublands of Tamalapan, Mesquitel. It's on a. So this here is uh, it, it's an article written by somebody. It's, they talk about a recent trip. And uh, he talks about his, him and his buddies. They, pass, they paddle through the Placid Canyon pools, braided streams, best weighted with a steady hand on the boat, obstacle course rapids, pitch tents, just feet from the river on smooth ridges formed by the coral beds of an ancient sea. The Milky Way sprawled overhead, scorpions skittered underfoot. Except for the scorpions, that sounds like the meanest well, lake yeah, trip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, scorpions. scorpions. Yeah, yeah. All right, Texas off the list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds cool. That sounds cool. Uh, Enchantment Lakes Basin in Washington State. 
a series so of... I hadn't even heard about this before until I was reading about this, and it's like the Enchantment Lakes Basin. Is, that sounds pretty amazing. It does. A uh, series of glacial cirques boasting towering peaks, clear lakes, and ancient larch trees. Permits go fast. The reward is solitude in one of the most stunning wilderness areas in the lower 48. Yeah, I've, nev- so I've I, never uh, heard of that until this list. Until this, I know. So I, I Google mapped it. I looked at a lot of the lakes in the area. And uh, so it's, uh, so this is Washington State. So it's way out west. And uh, it's it's one of these areas that I didn't know I wanted to go to until now. Yeah. <laughs> We're so going. It's just, it, yeah. Add it to the bucket list. I, I, yes. So I, there's a lot of hiking areas. There's a lot of uh, like the like it says the basin lakes and uh, and it's it's a very nice area if you want to go paddling. Mm-hmm. Get your permit because they go fast. Yes. Uh, now we're back to Wisconsin. Yeah. I, uh, so I don't know why John's not doing this. I know he should be doing this. He, he's redneck enough to take yeah. to take part in this. <laughs> so it talks about bow fishing for invasive carp in Wisconsin. So the, I, I think we've all heard about uh, invasive carp that it's uh, invading uh, some of the waterways in the northern states, and uh, and so in in this area they've come up with a new sport. It's called bow fishing for invasive carp, and so what you do is. Uh, the carp have they've moved up the Mississippi River into Wisconsin, and so unfortunately they're they're competing for the resources with native fish, and so bow hunting has taken part, and so you get out there in your boat and uh, and you're you're shooting fish like fish in a barrel with uh, with bow and arrow, and uh, and so here you go, you get you get to catch some invasive carp, get rid of the invasive uh, species, and uh, retrieve some fish and. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> it's like it says here. It's uh, yeah, it sounds kind of redneck, but it's a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you know what? Like, there's a lot of people that do the bow fishing. So, if they can yeah. uh, help address this issue, yes, with the invasive carp, then then go for it. Exactly. Ride the white water of the Gauley River in West Virginia. See, that's what you need. To, there, you need, you need a uh, Burt Reynolds trip down there. The Gauley River, yeah. The, the famed New River deserves all the hype it gets among rafters, but the Gauley River is by far the gr- gnarliest piece of white water in the state, if not the entire eastern seaboard. It runs for only six weeks in the fall when the Army Corps of Engineers release water from Somerville Dam. This narrow window provides an op- for the uh, chance to ride the Gauley through 25 miles of rugged country that drops nearly 700 feet. You will wow. leave with a story guaranteed. So there's only six weeks a year that you can run this river. Yep. It's when they're, so as coming into the fall before the freeze up and for all the um, hard water season, they drop the reservoirs, right? So they're just, they just dump water for six weeks. It's like, okay, white waters go. <laughs> I wonder if you got to have permits for this one as well and how fast um, they go. Yeah, I imagine hmm. because uh, they'd be limited in campsites and stuff like that. It's not like uh, if there are. Well, it's only twenty-five miles. You probably do you it in the weekend, day. right? Yeah, that'd be huh. one long day. You'd be tired at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And your last one's yours. The last one's mine. So here we go. 
Um, so now we're off to Wyoming, and it's uh, conquer the snake on a paddleboard. So here, this uh, this short article is written by Megan Michelson, and uh, so she talks about uh, Dan and her were standing on a bridge south of Jackson, watching the Snake River rush by. You ever paddled before, right? He asked. I nodded slowly. I wasn't being dishonest exactly. I had ridden a stand-up paddleboard on lakes a few times, but the snake, with its swift current, surferable swells, and massive boulders to dodge, was nothing like the flat water that I have ever explored. We were about to head down a nine-mile stretch of the river from South Park to Astoria Bridge. What was I doing? At the water's edge, I stepped onto my rented board. Following Dan out of the eddy, I wasn't feeling totally confident about my sup skills yet, but it was a gorgeous day, and we had the place to ourselves. We followed the river through Class 2 Rapids, a good intro to Whitewater, <laughs> doing it on the sun. <laughs> and when we, when we found, then we found swells. We surfed ro- a one roller coaster wave train over the next, uh, getting drenched by surges the size of compact cars, a rush unlike I've ever experienced. Despite a few wobbles and a near collision with Dan, I never fell off. At a swimming hole, we laughed as we plunged off our boards and listened to our voices echo through the canyon. By the time we reached Astoria Bridge a few hours later, I could tell Dan was impressed. This was actually my first time paddling a river, I told him. He laughed, I know! <laughs> <laughs> so that sounds pretty cool. So this is, uh, I and we've talked about this previously, about people starting to do whitewater on Santa paddle boards. Yeah. And uh, I... I I definitely don't have the experience or the confidence to do so myself, but I encourage people to try it out, and I'll watch you guys. <laughs> but this is uh, like paddle boarding down, stand up paddle boarding on whitewater, class two rapids and swells and so on. It's uh, it sounds pretty darn exciting. And uh, well, so there you go. If you want to conquer the snake, you can paddle board in Wyoming. We've seen the people doing the the kayaks in the big waves. And, you know, they sit there and they ride the waves. And yes, I mean, this so is like really surfing. no different doing it on a stand-up paddleboard. It's almost like you're surfing in spot. You can, yep. I mean, so, yeah, if you're getting some white water, you're going to have fun playing in those waves until you fall. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And we'll laugh and we'll laugh yep. and we'll laugh. So, you're going to want a paddle leash and a paddleboard leash. Oh, you you'll definitely to want to make sure that you're attached to all of that. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you don't want to uh, – yeah, there's no fun in – because that's the first thing I'd be doing is trying to scrabble back up onto it. Yes. You know? Oh, yeah. And right, right Even the you're laying the on it down. trying to get through, just yeah. trying to survive. <laughs> just trying to survive. But did you die? <laughs> <laughs> So I just thought this was an interesting series of of stuff, you know, state by state that mm-hmm. you could do, and it's like kind of like as we all come out of this uh, this COVID hangover, we uh, we're starting to look, and I know I'm starting to look for ideas of, of stuff to do to kind of get back out and doing things again, and and oh boy, will I be excited when the border opens again, right? So well, there's it's, uh, there's some of these if looks, you live in the area. That you could do oh, yeah. like over a weekend. Well, some of them are even just oh, day absolutely. trips. Yeah. So yeah. So any any uh, listeners down south, uh, south of the border, yeah, these are things that are easily accessible by you. But uh, I look forward to the day when uh, when we can easily cross border and 
and take advantage of these uh, fantastic opportunities in state by state. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something that I've been missing is I have been able to cross the border. There's some, yeah, I, <laughs> I got a list of so many places. I'm going to need so much time to, to visit. I need a real lifetime. Oh, yeah. I need, I need a ton of money that I can quit my day job just to do the stuff that <laughs> we've been building exactly. up wanting to do and adding yeah. to the bucket list the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, good times. Um, so that's all I've got. You got anything else? I don't. I, uh, I've got lots of thoughts and ideas in my head about trips that I want to do, but uh, nothing to discuss now on the podcast. All righty. Well, um, we were talking about your trip earlier, trying to remember the name of it. You said it started with an M. It would be a silent <laughs> M followed by Wabakimi. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? I think uh, if we got a couple of people, uh, and that's the problem with going up to Moosonee is everybody thinks, oh, That'd be a cool trip. And that's what Scott and I ran into a couple of years back when we did it is all of a sudden we had, I had about 30 people and that's, that's not an exaggeration wanting to come I along. I want to go, I want to go. So, you know, one, and of course that's when we do our solo trips, right? Like everybody yeah. brings their own canoe. That yeah. would have been 32 canoes floating <laughs> down the Moose River. <laughs> Like yeah, it would, that, that the would train not would have been, been loaded going south. That would not have been a good scene. <laughs> nope, absolutely not. Not at all. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. I want to. I want to go back, but I think yeah, make it last a few, a few more days. Maybe start farther down. Uh, like like we we're saying, Otter Rapids, that sort of thing. Yeah. See, there's a set of falls just past the Abitibi Dam, but. In order to get from Fraserdale train drop off to the Abitibi Dam, that's quite the ways. Yeah, it's quite the hike. Yeah. So you'd have to, unless you know somebody up there that could get you, pick you. Now, we know Tim McDonough from the uh, Kurt Whipper, Kirk Whipper, or sorry, the Voyager um, thing up there. Oh, I'm totally drawing a blank on it right now. <laughs> hmm. Where'd the wheels are turning. The wheels are turning. He might be able to drive us right there. <laughs> meet us in God. No, we just meet him at his place and drive yeah. us up. See, things are going. Things. This is what happens. You start, well, I know a guy who knows a guy who has a friend <laughs> whose sister's former roommate's brother, yeah. uncle. <laughs> yeah, that could happen. Yeah, you know, there's, there's a nice set of waterfalls. Just past the Abitibi Dam, that I think if you're going up that way, you you wouldn't want to miss, you know. So we'll talk. We'll yes. talk about it. Absolutely. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Just another one to add to the list. All right, you got nothing else then? I don't. All right. Well, neither do I. So if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at PaddlingAdventuresRadio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream our episodes from iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite down, uh, podcast downloading sites. You can go to the episode page at Paddling Adventures Radio and stream or download all our episodes there. 
If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends, family, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. Uh, I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time.